You are listening to the City Church Pastors Podcast. This is episode number 149. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this week's Pastors Podcast. I am Corey. I'm here with Zach. Hi. And Nate. Hello, hello. And Joel. Hello, hello. Uh, And this week, uh, we're going to be continuing our series on uh, understanding evangelicalism. It's a three-part series. Uh, We did our first uh, first podcast just kind of as an overview of, of trying to understand what actually uh, is meant by the word evangelicalism. And uh, there and just sometimes that can be a helpful word, sometimes not a helpful word, because it can mean a lot of different things, a lot of different people, it can be a lot of confusion. Uh, so we know we're not going to solve all these problems in this series, but hopefully we will at least push the needle uh, a little bit forward in helping uh, our members understand uh, the term and, and how it's been used historically and what its relevance for it is today. So what we want to do over these next two podcasts is talk about some of the pros of evangelicalism and some of the cons. And in some ways you could frame it as kind of the good things that made evangelicalism good in the beginning. And then the cons are really a bit uh, focusing on like what it has become today and even going back in some ways the difficulty of even defining it and how it can be a very positive thing for some people, a very negative thing uh, for some people and just flat out confusing uh, for, for others and, and unpacking those. So in this, this podcast, we're going to spend more time on the pros and then in the podcast to follow, we will unpack more of the cons um, uh, in that. So, so Nate, why don't you start us off, give us a little bit of a framework of how we're going to interact with, with, with these things. Yeah, I think as we mentioned last week, uh, even asking the question, am I an evangelical, raises what is an evangelical. And uh, we talked a bit last week about how it's far from a monolithic movement, that if you're approaching it, uh, sociologically or theologically or politically or uh, depending on your angle that word can be used or even subverted to mean a whole lot of different things so I think for the purposes of what we're talking about of some of the strengths of evangelicalism it's healthy to at least hone in uh, in some way what we mean and one way that people do that is uh, through the historian David Bebbington who has described the four priorities of evangelicalism so again it's not a monolithic movement all sorts of people use the word in all sorts of ways so you could say these aren't the priorities of evangelicalism uh and from one angle you're probably right uh, but these are the four that we're going to talk about today and so these are uh, sometimes called bevington's quadrilateral uh or just we'll keep them as four priorities uh, for people who are less geometrically inclined uh, the first <clears throat> priority is conversion uh, the second is the bible uh, the third is the cross and the fourth is uh, activism, uh, to be active. Uh, so I guess we could just start with with conversion. Uh, maybe get your thoughts on what are the strengths of of having a uh, theology that is rooted in a high value on conversion. Yeah, I mean, I think the first, the obvious uh, one for me is that it is. Uh, uh, directly linked to the person of Jesus because Jesus was evangelistic. Jesus was, uh, Jesus placed an emphasis on people responding to him, to the work that God was doing in him. It was Jesus, after all, told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Uh, it was Jesus who compared himself to the bronze serpent who would be lifted up and people would respond uh, to him. So I think a, a clear kind of, you use the uh, kind of hyperbolic analogy of saying if a man were on an island, and all he had was the Bible, and he read it, what would he come away with? I think one clear takeaway would be that the Bible, that Christianity, that Jesus 
is intensely focused on people coming to know God individually through faith in Jesus Christ. So when we say that a key tenet of evangelicalism as a concept, uh, as a grouping, is that we place an emphasis on conversion, I think the link to the, to the leadership of Christ, to the mission of Christ, to the message of Christ is uh, definitely a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about, you know, when you think about these the, the series that we're going to do, the two podcasts we're going to do with the pros and cons, uh, I just got back from Southern Baptist Convention uh, earlier in this week, and in so many ways, those two or three days exemplified a lot of things we're talking about, to where in one moment. Both ways. Yeah. In both ways, in one minute, like literally over the course of like two minutes, you can be like, this is amazing. I'm so excited. Like, this is the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And the next minute you're like, ah, no, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And when you think about like this element of conversion, of just hearing so many reports uh, from various pastors across the country about evangelism and missions and people coming to faith in Christ, hearing reports from uh, the, the mission boards about churches being planted, uh, about people uh, around the world in places that we don't think about people coming to faith in Christ, where missionaries are laboring and they're talking about the gospel, they're talking about the need to, to turn uh, from whatever you, you are believing and trusting in to placing your faith in Christ and, and converting, being born again. And just, just, I think that is a beautiful thing that, that religion, Christianity is not something you just go through the motions. It's actually a metaphysical, supernatural thing that has to happen. Uh, and I think at evangelicalism's best, when it's at its best, that is one of the things it's, it's emphasizing, that you're not born a Christian, mm-hmm. you're not born into the faith, uh, you don't just keep these rules, that you are, as, as a lot of the old confessions say, that you are, your, your heart is wrought by the Holy There's a change of heart that's wrought by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. That it, I think it's clearly taught by Jesus and the apostles in the, in the New Testament. Yeah, it's John 3 kind of language, that you must be born again, and you must be born from above, that it's God that does a work to renew someone's heart. So I like one thing I love about uh, being conversion-minded is it's so easy to think that Christianity is a sliding scale. You see so many people around you who take Christianity really seriously and some that kind of dabble in it, and it just pushes us to say that that each person, ourselves included, are either born once or we're born twice. Uh, we're either... Uh, our old man, to use kind of Paul's Romans language, or we're now part of the new man, Jesus, uh, and that that's one or the other. I think it was uh, in some of the origins of evangelicalism, it was so healthy to have a conversion mindset because uh, the church was something you were born into. It was mixed with kind of your uh, civic identity, that you're a citizen of this country and a citizen of the church, and you have people like John Wesley and George Whitfield uh, who are going around and saying, you must be born again. Uh, and they're not primarily to preaching to people who are outsiders, but perceived as insiders. Mm-hmm. Like they're preaching to the church mm-hmm. and saying, you need to be converted to Jesus because giving to the church or having your pew reserved for your family or being a citizen of this country does not mean that you are converted. It's having faith in Christ. Yeah, and in that, in that way, and again, we're talking about evangelicalism as a concept and really in its purest form, but mm-hmm. in that way, there's this great leveling Right, yeah, because it's saying rich, poor, black, white, male, female, Western Hemisphere, Eastern Hemisphere. Absolutely. Every single person must be born again. And so there's this 
purity of saying we all stand before God in need of a second birth. And no and, one has a leg up on that. That's right. And all of us, if we respond to Christ, are instantly made children of God. I also think that in that way, too, that true, like pure evangelic, evangelicalism as a concept is also this sense that a church or a Christian, there there is an, a lack of health if there's a lack of interest in the conversion of others, which I think also is a is a is a neighbor love orientation that it is not sufficient when i when i hear an emphasis on conversion it's not just an emphasis on my need to be converted but also an emphasis on genuine care and concern for others to be converted yeah and i think we'll talk about cons in the next podcast but i think when conversionism uh falls into decisionism like it can get us like we're not saying decisionism like that people need to make a decision for Christ that has no bearing on their life, but but that people need to be uh, made made new. They need to be born again by the Spirit. So I think you know each of these things can have a healthy form and an unhealthy form. Uh, but I think just getting people to make a decision or pray a prayer or go through some sort of action that is detached from from being born again uh, is unfortunately kind of a unhealthy. Uh, deterioration so of would, conversion. Would you say that's like a, a teaser for the con episode? Or <laughs> I'm saying it's hard to talk about all of these pros without immediately thinking of the con. Uh, to Corey's point about saying yay, yeah, moment yeah, and cringing. Yeah. The it was thing. even when I was talking about it. Well, like it was hard not to weigh into the and say, okay, that's for the next next mm-hmm. Yeah, so. let's uh, let's. Well, move I appreciate in. your restraint. Yeah, you're more restrained than I am. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Let's move into the second uh, kind of facet of evangelicalism, which is biblicism, uh, and maybe in that, saying a bit of what that means or what that doesn't mean, and how that uh, is is helpful as a key priority uh, in yeah. our theology. I think it's important to say here that the emphasis, rightly again in its purest form, is that the Bible, correctly understood is the word of God and it is the sole authority for faith and practice. Now we don't mean my interpretation of the Bible, your interpretation of the Bible, my theological system, your theological system, my tradition, your tradition, but rightly understood in its purest form it is whatever the text says, that's what we believe and that's what we do. And I I think, and a working towards that, in in other words saying that we see things dimly now, but we understand that, that God has revealed and we need to reckon with what God has said. And I think in its purest form, this is the idea that we are shaped by God. God is not shaped and in like the true Protestant sense that that uh, God forms us through the Bible, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I think with biblicism, like another uh, branch of evangelical movement is a confessional biblicism, that there are parameters to how we interpret the Bible. It's not just kind of my interpretation or something novel, but it's rooted in how uh, the church throughout time has has made sense of the Bible, that it's not a wax nose to be recreated by each person or by each generation, but it's to say that we're tied into how the church over time and space with a lot of differing opinions, but uh, kind of the common denominator of that, like one true apostolic faith mm-hmm. of of how we interpret scripture should be our, that should be our, our fence or our, yeah, right. our guard posts. Right, yeah. I think the important thing is to make this practically applicable is that again, in its purest form, what this would mean is if you show up at an evangelical church, there's an expectation of the kinds of things you're going to hear of the kinds of things you're going to sing as the kinds of things you're going to be exposed to. Now, again, again, we're talking about yeah, purest should. form, yeah. Yeah. but, yeah. but the original idea was that 
when someone would confess as an evangelical or a church would confess as evangelical, they were saying, you can know we, we are b- coming up under the authority of Scripture and whatever it says, we're going to do. Uh, and, and again, I think that's commendable. Yeah. Whether or not it, it is reality, the idea right. itself is commendable. Yeah, if I'm going to keep with the theme of thinking of just from this week of, of the, the pros from that is like, you know, they're, again, uh, foreshadowing a little bit of the cons. There are a lot of things that we obviously disagree with about other Baptist churches and, and a lot of things that can be frustrating sometimes. But one thing that isn't being debated uh, in our denomination is, you know, the authority of Scripture. Now, the application and interpretation of that obviously uh, and its role uh, there there is is debate, but you know there are a lot of uh, elements, uh, particularly of American Christianity, uh, denominations, and various aspects where there isn't a unified vision of of whether Scripture is true, whether it is authoritative, uh, and so it is a good thing to say that because when you begin answering any type of question, like when you think about worldview studies, one of the things that when I teach on worldview is that you have to answer before anything else, before you begin diving into answering kind of life's questions of ultimate reality and, and meaning and origin and problems and redemption, things like that is like, what is your source of authority? Like, where are we going to get these answers from? Uh, and, and why, why is it, you know, how are we going to answer this question? So when you think about a lot of the post-Reformation confessions of faith, a lot of them begin with Scripture as the first article. And I think the reason for that is saying that, look, coming out of the Reformation, one of the distinguishing marks is uh, that separated Protestants from from the from um, the Catholic Church was that the sole source of authority was Scripture and Scripture mm-hmm. alone. And so that everything that's coming after this is coming out of this unified vision of we want to root everything that we're saying about God, the Church, and the world in scripture mm-hmm. so. and that's enticing for our, our day and age Zach and, Zach and I were talking this morning about a meeting he had recently just about how difficult it was to even just have a basic conversation in the age of relativism and mm-hmm. how um, I think people are, are longing for objectivity but are unwilling to admit it and they they uh, they're, they're quick to say that they can't be certain about anything or, or say anything is true but in uh, through this aspect of, of evangelicalism uh, it's, it is actually a, a, an attractive trait, I think, even though even not on the surface, but I think at, at like the heart level, people do want this. They want to be able to say, you know what Hitler did was wrong, but their worldview won't let them do that. And they struggle with it. Yeah. And a lot of people, the growth of Islam in Western Europe, a lot mm. of people have attributed that completely, but in some part to the fact that it offers a coherent, authoritative source of authority, like in the middle of relativism yep. and chaos. Yep. Like Islam in Western Europe is saying, look, you were, you know, in your in your inability to find mm-hmm. answers or anything. Yeah, we're saying, look, yeah, that's right. Allah has spoken, and and here it is. Yeah, I think another aspect of it too is just that uh, I'm not subject then to the whims of any religious teacher or leader. That that it, you know, kind of that again, that Protestant uh, mm-hmm. ethos of like everybody has the Bible. You read the Bible for yourself. You can reckon with what it says for yourself. You can search the scriptures and see if these things are true. And I, and I think that's something we take for granted because we all have, you know, the, a Bible and maybe pick it up less than we ought to. But the idea that it's not just whatever Zach or whatever Nate say on a Sunday that I just believe or have to believe, yeah. but that I can go s- search the scriptures for myself and wrestle with whether or not I think yeah. this is true. And and that's a pretty amazing concept when you look at human history and how often people have just had no choice but to 
follow along with whatever the religious leader was saying. Yeah. And I think it's an important note because I think sometimes the way that Christians, at least in the American context are misunderstood as coming across as people, you think, you know, everything, you have all the answers, but the proper way to understand, hey, look, we're not saying that we have all the, answers. we're just saying that we want to root our answers in scripture and that everybody has access to that. So we're, source of appeal. yeah, we don't, we're not, we're not seeking to appeal to some kind of Gnostic secret knowledge, mm-hmm. but that we're just saying that this, this, book we believe contains God's words Mm -hmm. and that God has spoken uh, and and that anyone can read it and align themselves. Yeah. And it's a shame that, that, that that it is portrayed that way because there ought to be a deep humility under, underneath the authority. Yeah. It's actually saying I don't have the answers and I have to look externally to how I believe God has spoken. In both of the things that we talked about in in our conversion and in receiving the scriptures, Mm -hmm. they're both beginning with God. It's God's kindness coming, coming to us. There should be a humility. It's like I don't have the answers. Yeah. Yeah, and even in that is saying that God has revealed himself in Scripture, that it's not through any uh, certain, like you said, secret knowledge or, like Zach said, any particular inspired teacher. Like, just as conversionism is a great leveler to say that there's no privilege uh, in a world where we all need to be born again. Uh, So there's no privilege in a world where God has revealed himself in Scripture, that that's uh, where we find our authority and he's trustworthy. It's not through a certain person or a certain uh, power scheme or like it's a unlimited resource in that sense uh, but we should move to the third which is a crucicentricism uh, saying that the uh, to be an evangelical inherently means that you are cross-centered uh, be curious your guys thoughts on this even uh, ways that you've seen this uh, be very healthy in your own lives and lives of others and then maybe uh, again, foreshadowing next week, some ways that we uh, do this to the exclusion mm-hmm. of uh, even seeing the, the breadth of the work of Christ. Yeah, I think the key here is the centrality of the cross, because I think people would say, well, all Christianity put, you know, has reference to Jesus and uh, his sacrificial death on the cross. And, and, and what we're saying here is that that is the center point, that, mm-hmm. that all things are emanating from that. Uh, and, and I think that is the defining mark uh, of what's going on. I, I think the key aspect of Christianity that sets it apart, a key aspect, one of the key aspects, is the idea of grace. And that is inseparably linked to cross-centered, the cross-centered understanding of the Christian life, that Christians are those who say, my sins uh, are being paid for. I have sin, it's being paid for. And my sins are being done away with. And I think that... That distinction is what has shaped me, like that idea was what has shaped me personally as a Christian is this idea that God does want relationship with me uh, and has made it possible through Christ. And I, and I think uh, that distinction sets, again, in its purest form, evangelical Christianity apart mm-hmm. from, from other Particularly ideas. when you think of grace, not just as God's favor toward you, but his unmerited favor yeah. toward you, that mm-hmm. Jesus has advocated for us on our behalf. He is... Uh, on the cross, he has uh, undone the powers and the weights that oppress us, and he has been our substitute in our place for us. Mm-hmm. That that uh, when you see the cross, not just as kind of God's ultimate demonstration of how much he loves us, like look to the length that he would prove himself to us, or uh, wow, that's such a great example of what it means uh, in kind of every sort of movie storyline where there's a Messiah figure that he would, mm-hmm. he would give himself for a better cause. Mm-hmm. But no, saying like he did that for me in my place, mm-hmm. uh, that, that leads to a kind of grace that, to your point, is, is so 
uh, rare and unique. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, it's world. kind of a, a natural uh, outflowing, both the first in conversion and this this third one um, of of cross centeredness. It's a natural outflow of of appealing to the authority of the scriptures that they the, the scriptures themselves to use your your island metaphor, Zach. I think that the centrality of the of the cross isn't something that we came up with, but the the scriptures themselves. They, they show us the centrality of the cross, that all of the, the themes that we see throughout Scripture, they, they find the, the ultimate pinnacle in this moment of history where Christ redeemed his people through this single act. Yeah, and I just show the, the need of this and how some, this is not true in all expressions of, um, of, of Christianity. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, a publisher had asked me to review a textbook that was coming out that was on different religions and on the Christianity part it had like an outsider perspective and insider perspective so this they were asking me to read the insider perspective on Christianity that had been written and give my feedback before it was published and everything so I read this this portrayal of Christianity by a Christian who a Christian scholar who was it was like from an insider perspective like so how do we want other people to understand Christianity uh, and read through it, and uh, if my memory serves me correctly, he had no mention of the cross or resurrection. <laughs> and uh, my response to that was just very clear: is like I don't know how you can talk about Christianity to anyone and try to explain what Christianity means to anyone and not talk about the cross. It's like without the cross, Christianity does not exist. So whatever the, all these other great things about Jesus, uh, love the poor. Uh, he he, you know, had, was a voice for the voices, which are all true things, but they don't have their significance if, in fact, Jesus doesn't go to the cross. Yeah, and, and he isn't raised. And in addition dead. to that, I think the cross is like a literal stake in the ground that we go back to. So we say, even he would say that God loves me. How do I know? Uh, God cares for what's going on in the world. How do I know? Mm-hmm. God will reckon with evil. How do I know? Like the all cross. those roads lead back they can go many places in the bible but ultimately all those all those roads lead back to the cross Mm -hmm. yeah and it shows how these things are interrelated that uh we are uh cross-centered because like joel you said it that's the focus of the scriptures that paul said i claim to know nothing but christ and him crucified uh but we get that because we are finding our authority in the bible uh, and that leads us to a place of needing to be converted that if jesus really did die on behalf of sinners uh in their place uh, that means I need to be converted to him. Like I need to find my identity in what he has done for me on the cross. So, and all of those are related to kind of the fourth and final tenet of evangelicalism, which is activism. Uh, meaning that if all of these things are true, if God has revealed himself in the Bible uh, in a way that is centered on the cross and leads us to see how people need to be born again and made new in Christ, uh, then we should be activists. Uh, maybe be good to unpack that a bit. Of what it means to be a evangelical activist. Even now, my head is spinning with hundreds of ways that that could go bad. Uh, so, <laughs> in a good way, what does that mean? To speak historically, I mean that's that's not really that's not really my thing. I don't think I could speak to. But just the word the word activism. I think I would think of it similarly to conversion, in that there's this leveling by God, um, uh, who has done all the work necessary to make one a follower of Jesus, a son of the living God, a daughter of the living God. Um, and that the natural result of that is that people look 
progressively more and more like Christ and uh, which is impossible to do without being active <laughs> doing and doing so that we have this perception in, in the church of like you know a uh, confession of faith in Christ and then like the super Christians that do all the work um, and that the, the the scriptures have have no that there that is nowhere in the scriptures and uh, that we but what we do see is the natural result of conversion of love for Christ is this working out of that rest in Christ that's been won for us, uh, but in doing things. we Even just reading a plain reading of the, the book of Acts, God's people who were redeemed by Christ just went out all over the world with these things. They were, they were doing things, and that um, that's a, a natural outflowing of all the other things that we talked about. Yeah, I think the first three lead to the fourth one in the sense that reading the Bible you know, wrestling with and, and reckoning with what God has said about himself, which shows us that God requires us to be born again, shows us our need to be born again, and has provided the means for that himself through the sending and giving of his son, uh, displays a God who is actively concerned with this world, present and active in this world, working in this world. And I think the response then of those who come to know this God and to respond in faith by grace to this God is that they must then pick up his, his the mantle of God and care about things the way that he cares about them. And you see this so often in the New Testament and the epistles where you get an unfolding of the gospel and of even doctrines like justification, sanctification, etc. And then the author will make a quick pivot to then here's how you live. Like if these things are true, this is the life that leads to. And I think that connection between, again, in, a, in its purest form in evangelicalism is really important. I must respond. I must act because of who God is and who he's shown himself to be and what he's done in my life and in the lives of others. Yeah. And I think about some of the, again, from this week, some of the encouraging things. One of the most encouraging things that came out of even, you know, with the Southern Baptist Convention was one of the things they do is they pass resolutions, which are not binding on churches, but basically are just statements that reflect kind of current cultural things going on and the church is trying to speak with one voice. And oftentimes it can be discouraging what comes out. I mean, this is the same convention that boycotted Mickey Mouse and Disney in the 90s. Uh, so, but th this year, the, the resolutions that were passed without opposition, so you have 9,000 people, messengers from churches, things on immigration uh, that are speaking against a lot of the things that are going on right now with immigration. I'm just saying, look, we whatever immigration system comes up, it needs to be compassionate. It needs to be just. It needs to protect the dignity of family and the dignity of, of human beings. And these are things that are passing without a single opposition. Things on uh, uh, abuse. Uh, you know, the, the very public thing that happened, you know, in the last couple of months was the president of Southwestern Seminary saying and doing some things related to abuse that that are extremely problematic. And so at the convention, you have over 9,000 people passing a resolution without opposition condemning everything that he was saying uh, and, and saying that the gospel leads us to say certain things about the dignity of human beings and being compassionate uh, and and these things meaning to exhort churches of saying that if you have been converted, if you do believe the Bible is true, if you are le leading a cross-centered life, then that should lead to these type of things and actions uh, in our local churches and stuff. So uh, that it's disconnected. So that that was actually one of the most encouraging things uh, of that you have. Uh, so a lot of times things are said on the news and you get kind of one 
person saying this or one pastor saying this, but but just being encouraged by that does not represent the majority of uh, or, or a lot of the churches uh, that that we are in cooperation with. There are a lot of Christians in America uh, that maybe never get interviewed or never on CNN or uh, things like that, but but are concerned about these things. Yeah, I think there are different kind of eras of the church that evangelicalism arises out of, and one of the more recent eras was in the early 1900s when you had this uh, divide within the Protestant church in America and uh, in some parts of Europe, uh, where you had on the one hand, you had kind of uh, social progressives who were advocating a social gospel, and then you had uh, the more social conservatives that were uh, responding to that and saying, we want to be about the gospel alone, uh, and you you hear this as kind of the modernists and the fundamentalists, and evangelicalism was pitted, or not pitted, but grew out of that as a third way, to say that to be a Christian means that you are uh, concerned about conversion, you're concerned about preaching the word, but also living the word in social action, and you see that in uh, kind of the uh, movements that, that came out of that, of like the Lausanne Conference and and people who are saying we want to be about Christianity in word and deed, uh, that it's it's living the gospel and speaking the gospel. And I just think that's a great tension that we should always come back to, that activism means that we live these things out, that there isn't a place for uh, Christian nominalism to say, I believe this, this is true of me, but it has no bearing in my life, uh, but that we are new people uh, who should be uh, both socially uh, concerned and uh, kind of spiritually concerned at the same time. We don't have to pick and choose. Okay, so that uh, hopefully again gives you a little bit about the idea of some of the good things uh, that that are, that are that have happened and and are happening and um, and could be associated with evangelicalism and kind of the historical roots of, of what it was intended to be about. Uh, so obviously there could be more more that could be said, but hopefully again that that's an that's an overview uh, as Nate said, and sometimes you know others could could view it in a different light. Uh, so what we want to do in the next podcast, we'll talk about the cons, some of the opposites of these things. So uh, I encourage you, you can always go to the website, citychurchcle.com. You can go to the pastor's podcast page. There you can get other uh, resources, other other podcasts. You can listen to those. And there's also a place for you to submit questions. Uh, in a future podcast, we'll deal with all the questions that we have. Uh, so if you have a question about this podcast or, or any other podcast that we've done, or any question in general about Christianity and Scripture and faith in the church, Please uh, submit that, and we will uh, love to engage with that on a future podcast. So, as always, thanks for listening, and we hope you have a great week.